This series that we're doing, the sermon series we're doing is called The Health of Your Soul. It's about conducting a spiritual inventory. We wanted to say, listen, how are we doing? How are we doing and how can we help you look inside and go, okay, how's my journey with God? How's my spiritual journey going? What's happening for me? And then how can I ask some questions to get at that? This is week three. And at the end of each one of those sermons, we have been challenging you since it's Lent that we'll do a Lenten practice. We'll do a spiritual practice together as part of processing these truths. So the first week asking about, am I thirsty for God? And we did a, a, uh, uh, many of us practiced a fast for the week. Um, to help us cultivate our thirst for God, knowing that he's the one who satisfies. And then uh, Art preached on, on, am I becoming more and more of a loving person? And he gave us the spiritual practice of reading 1 Corinthians 13, a little bookmarky thing you got, beginning and end of your day, and a prayer of examine that he instructed us on. How do I ask that question? Uh, how did I do today, Lord? Was I full of your love today? Where did I miss it and Why? And so that was his spiritual practice that he challenged us to. So I hope some of you did that this last week. I saw some stuff on Facebook, people saying that that was profitable for them. This question that I want to look at today is, am I quietly centered on God? Is there a quiet centeredness to my life? Is there a a groundedness and a peace and a tranquility and a spiritual rest and stillness in Jesus? Does that describe you? And if this resonates with you that you're maybe like, "Mm, not so much, a little bit, maybe not, because in fact... I have a lot of conversations with a lot of you, and there's very few people that are like, that exactly describes me. I'm full of tranquility and blessedness, and I float through my days with such spiritual joy and rest. The reality of it is we live in this world in this time where we're just bombarded all the time and we feel instead of a centeredness, a quiet centeredness on God from which everything projects, we end up just feeling like we're defensive of all the stuff that's coming our way and creating all kinds of stress and anxiety and lack of rest and frenetic activity. And so we want to ask this question. If we're going to ask, how am I doing with God? We want to say, how am I quietly being centered on God? And if that resonates with you, let's look at some of the scriptures and let's talk about what it might look like. This verse from Psalm 4610, I know it will minister to you just hearing it. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. You want to read it with me? Be still and know that I am God. There's this part of our spiritual journey where we're called to be at rest, to stop, to slow down, to be still. Why? Why would the text tell us to do that? What's it say? Why would we be still? To know God. How am I doing spiritually? How's my journey going? How am I growing in my relationship with God? This is a question we need to ask. Am I still? How am I doing with this still peace? And that's what um, we want to consider today. Our, most of us tend to be characterized by some form of stress that's related to, probably in a lot of ways, related to activity and time. The, the, the greatest indicators of stress these days, research is showing, uh, job pressure, money, health, relationships, media overload, sleep deprivation. Anybody resonate with any of those? That it creates some stress on our lives. And what happens with that stress then is that we, we end up feeling sort of overwhelmed all the time. And this centeredness on believing that God's present with us and believing that he is our God. Be still and know. When I, when I say be still, then you finish it with me, okay? Be still and know that I am God. 
When we get to that place, when, when all that stuff comes at us, it's hard to be still. And so therefore, we don't know that he's God. And so we live like these functional agnostics of just kind of cruising through life without this centeredness, this stillness, this quiet centeredness on God. This stress happens, 77% of the people in the U.S. now, 77% of Americans are experiencing, exhibiting symptoms of stress. Physical symptoms, I didn't say that, sorry. Physical symptoms of stress. I mean, we, I think 100% of us feel stress. 77 are now feeling it in their body. We become overwhelmed. It's odd that that's happened because we thought that technology was going to create a less stressful life. We just say that with a smile nowadays. It's even just trite to say, right? John Maynard Keynes, the economist, he said that uh, in, in uh, the 1930s, he said, you know, our grandchildren are only going to work three hours a day and only then because they want to. It didn't turn out that way. But there's something that's happening in the dynamic where we are and in fact, we are, you know that we're working less now. We work put in less hours at our jobs than, than any other time in history, on average. Both at, at, at work, in the office, so to speak, or on the, on the farm, and in the uh, home. Because of technology. And so there, there, it, it has saved us time. It's not a ton, but we are working less. But why is it that we all feel so overwhelmed by this time pressure and by this lack of quiet-centeredness? And if you go do some of the reading right now in the social science around that, in fact, even if you just sort of start going out there and asking, why are people so busy? You'll see these great studies that are talking about people aren't as any more busy than they used to be, but they're feeling busier because they, we live in what's now being called the, an, an infinite culture. So we have infinite amount of options and infinite amount of information available to us. And so we can't, there's no way for us to know when we can stop it. And so they say, even when people get time off, it becomes exhausting because they add all of the options of what they could do. Have you ever felt that too? You just feel this overwhelming sense of, I mean, just if you don't know what I'm talking about, about the infinite culture, all you got to do is look at your Kindle and realize you have 300 books you haven't read. It used to be the books on your bedside table were the stack that mocked you, but it was only six high at the most, and then it fell over. Now we have hundreds of them in the digital form just waiting to be read, and we're like, I should read that book. I should become an expert in, you know, third century Finnish history, you know? Because it, because. So we're living in this infinite culture, and because it's infinite, those infinite options, it creates this unbelievable amount of, of stress on us. We feel busier, even though we may not actually even be any busier. And some of you are like, oh, I'm busier. And you are. Your kids are busier. Their teams take more, their homework takes more, and on and on. So we get overwhelmed by all this. We're asking the question is, how can I become quietly centered on God? The text says, be still and know that I am God. There's a stillness that we're called to. The result of all this stress, all of this infinite world that we're living in, infinite opportunity and infinite options and infinite information, is really that we're performing worse. There's less, worse performance in the things that we're putting our hands to. There's less compassion, the social scientists say. And there's less a sense of positive well-being. And so all this technology and all these options has made us unhappier people that are less centered. If we're going to ask the question, how am I doing spiritually? We're going to ask this question of, am I quietly centered on God? Is there a quiet center to my my spiritual journey to my life and the text that we're 
challenging ourselves about is be still and know that I am God. And our hearts cry out for it right there. (laughs) So what anchors us, church? What's going to anchor us? What's going to center us? I want to talk about what it looks like to be still. Because I think every one of us is going to resonate with the question, do I have a quiet center to my life? And we're going to say things like, kind of not really. So what anchors us? What do we do from here? Be still. And again, because the scripture taught we're going to be still so that what? What's the end result? That we would know God. We would know that he is God, that our spiritual journey would be aligned. And so I think if that's going to be the case, I want to look at, 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 at what Jesus did. We're going to look at figuring out how to be still. We're going to look at some of the things that Jesus did and what he modeled. Oswald Chambers is famous for saying, in the Lord's life, there was none of the press and rush of tremendous activity that we regard, that we regard so highly. In the Lord's life, he didn't exhibit that. He didn't exhibit that frenetic, out of control, don't know which way to go, don't know how long to go there, don't know what speed to go at, don't know what to do with all my options. There was none of that sense. There was a centeredness to him. Now, I know that you're not the savior of the universe. I know that. I know that you're not the Christ. But do you resonate with the same idea that there's so much coming our way? And Jesus didn't have that, um, that, that sort of rush of frenetic, disorganized, non-centered life. So I want to look at some of the ways in which Jesus responded to that. And here you see it. The news about him spread all the more. This is from Luke chapter 5. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Now, you remember, you remember reading in Jesus' life, once the word got out that Jesus was doing miracles and the people wondered if he, in fact, was the Messiah, the Son of God, or maybe even deeper, in a deeper sense, that he was maybe the hope that they were longing for, that there would be healing and life being offered from God, that God would come and be present in their midst. When they got a glimpse of that, Jesus got famous and people came out of the woodwork. Again, you're not the Son of God, but you can resonate with the needs that come at you all day, every day. And look at verse 16. What did Jesus do? What was his reaction? Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. Okay, there's two things that he did. Verse 16, let's do Bible study. There are two things that he did. He did two things. What are they? He did what? What's first? He did what? Withdrew to lonely places. What's the second thing he did? He prayed. Those are two things that Jesus did. The first thing he did was that he got alone. If we're going to be still, if we're going to have a calm centeredness to our spiritual journey, we're going to have to be alone. Apparently being alone is, is part of developing this relationship with God. Why do you think that would be the case, that being alone would help you be still and connect and know that God is God? What do you think, be, what would being alone do for you? Somebody tell me something. What's that? It Focus? What was that? Calming? Yeah, being alone is calming because, man, all them people in your life, they are tiring. I don't know who said it, but probably people in your life, yeah. Yeah, there's no distractions. All that, when you're alone, you, you, you sort of, you can focus. That's why people are like, I do my best thinking in the shower. You know why? That's the only time your phone's not on, right? That's the only time people aren't engaged and aren't in your face. That's exactly why. This clarity comes and you're like, it was amazing. I had this epiphany in the shower. No, it was the one five-minute segment where you weren't just overwhelmed by everybody in your world. You were alone and you were able to focus. And something happens spiritually with us, you guys. When we get alone, the real us, we can't really avoid that real us. And so how we're really doing 
starts to come out. We'll talk more about that in a second. The other thing that text said was that he got away to, he often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. He prayed. He got away and he prayed. We're, getting, we're being still so we can know that he is God. Being alone helps us know he's God. Praying helps us know that he's God. Okay, this is hard. Pray. People have all kinds of stuff going on with pray in their heads. But here's the deal. I'm a professional. I have a master's degree. I'm going to tell you something right now. Maybe really hard. Maybe really hard. Here's a definition for you, okay? Ready? Ready? Here's what praying is. Talking to God. There it is. I don't know what you layer on it that makes it more complex than that. I don't know what kind of overwhelming religious background you have or, 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 or a, a, an unchristian spiritual background you have or I don't know what you... Praying is talking to God. And part of being still is that we're going to talk to God and then we're going to listen to God about what is on our heart. I'm going to talk more about that in just a minute. But praying is about talking to God and listening to God about what is on our heart. And please just start there. That's how you're going to connect with him. That's how you're going to know that he is God. A spiritual practice that I'm going to challenge us to this week. We'll talk a little bit more about it. I want to say one more thing about prayer. We're going to be still so that we know that, we're God, that he's God. Being alone is part of that. Praying is part of that, meaning talking to God. There's a verse in James that sounds a little harsh at first. And when you read it or when somebody quotes it, sometimes they're kind of being a little bit harsh. And it goes like this. It says, I don't have it on the screen, but it says, you have not because you ask not. And it sounds a little bit like it's a rebuke, right? You have not because you ask not. You have not because you're not praying enough. You have not because you're not spending enough time in prayer. And God's back here like, I'd give you stuff, but you're not asking, so that's your problem. Like, that's what it sounds like at first. But I want you to hear this. You have not because you ask not is an invitation. It's an invitation for God to say, I come, I have life at its fullest. I, I am the answer to every hope and every dream and every longing in your soul. Come and engage with me and let's talk about it. And as I've talked with you before, when you talk with God and you listen to God, sometimes he gives you what you ask for and sometimes he changes what you're asking for because when you engage with your God, he shapes your heart. It's just not that hard of a science, but we come. And so come. We don't have in our lives because we're not talking to God about what's on our heart. And so be still is about talking with him about what's in our heart. We're alone, we're praying. There's one other text, there's a couple things I want you to see. Mark chapter 6, then because so many people were coming and going, it's just another, another theme there, right? Just so many people. There's just so many people. Because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. There's two other things he says here. Come with me where? To a quiet place and do what? Get some rest. We get quiet. Being still is about getting quiet. It's about us being quiet, not talking anymore, not managing, not controlling. Why is it? What happens when you're quiet? Why would that be part of knowing that he's God? Why would being quiet, no, be part of knowing that he's God? Somebody tell me. Because you can listen and you can hear him perfect. Everybody was right on the tip of your tongue. That means you've all been in relationships before when you know you can't hear somebody when you're still talking. Now elbow, elbow your friend next to you that needs to hear that. We could hear him. 
If we get quiet, then we're going to be able to hear and we're going to be able to concentrate better. And even more than that, you guys, I think we're going to stop manically controlling all of our world. We use words to control our environment, to control perceptions, to get what we want, to open doors for us, to create reality, to shape reality, to manipulate reality. We use words, 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 words. And the Lord's like, come away and get quiet and know that I'm God. So we have to have this quietness that's part of being still This is a great now in quote, it's long, but I want you to read it with me and see it. When we have removed our outer distractions, this is about being quiet and being alone. When we've removed our outer distractions, we often find that our inner distractions manifest themselves to us in full force. Okay, stop. Have you ever had that experience? You're like, man, I don't like being alone. Because all that stuff that I'm anxious about and all the junk that's in my life and all that shame that... Like, I just, I just, I'd rather keep it at bay. So I'm keeping my life full of activity and noise. There's just, even as I'm saying that, I know the Holy Spirit, there's somebody, there's some people here that are like, that's me. And I got to repent of that right now. I'm running from being alone and being quiet. And so I don't know God, but I know that I'm keeping all that junk at bay. Friends, the real you's got to come out. So now one goes on to say, those, those, those distractions manifest themselves in full force. We often use these outer distractions to shield ourselves from the interior noises. It is thus not surprising that we have a difficult time being alone. The confrontation with our inner conflicts can be too painful for us to endure. And so we don't get quiet. We don't get alone and we don't get quiet. We keep using words over and over in our external thing. We use other people's words. We use music. We use everything we can to keep us distracted from hearing God and encountering him in the deepest places. Another quote that we've heard a lot. Just sit down and shut up. That's most of my friends say that. Because the more you talk, the less you listen. And the more you talk, the more you shape what you want to be perceived as. And the more you talk, the more you can fill the silences that God may want to fill with his word and his truth. Be still. And know that I'm God. So then back to that text. So come back and get to a quiet place uh, and get some rest. So the quiet thing and then the rest thing. There's rest in there as well. Just come back and get some rest. Be still and know that I'm God. Being alone helps us know that he's God. Praying helps us know that he's God. Getting quiet helps us know that he's God. Resting helps us know that he is God. The Hebrew word in that Psalm 4610 that we started with, be, I'm gonna say it again, you say it with me. Be still and know that I am God. The Hebrew word be still means enough. It has the strength of force. It's like stop. It's enough. That's enough. Enough of the way that you've been going. Enough of all the stuff. Enough of all the noise. Like, that's enough. Stop. And know that I am God. And there's a rest piece in there. Isaiah 30, 15 has this idea, and I don't have it on the screen, but it says this, listen, it says, in repentance and trust is your salvation. Repentance and repentance and turning around and engaging with God. In repentance and trust is your salvation. Did I misquote it? Wait a minute. Yeah, that's right. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. In repentance 
and rest is your salvation. In turning toward God and resting in him is your salvation. That's your hope. In quietness and trust is, is what? What does it say? Is your strength. I love that. This is God speaking through the prophet. Israel had all kinds of stuff going on. They were like, whoa, we've got to protect ourselves from our enemies. The northern tribes have already been hit. This, we're going to be in trouble like there's just people on every, there's trouble and peril on every side. And the Lord goes, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And then listen, he says right after that, but you want none of that. The next verse says, so you say, we'll flee on swift horses. Like you're like, I got skills. I got plan B. I got stuff. Let me at it. Let me do it. And he's like, enough. I'm your hope. I'm what you need. You need to be quietly centered in that truth and know that I am God. And that will bring the life that you're looking for. That will bring the protection that you're looking for. That will bring the healing that you're looking for. That will bring the transformation that you can't bring yourself. That will bring the miracles that you only barely have enough faith to reach out for in your heart and your soul and your mind to ascend to. I'm your hope. I'm your strength. I am your salvation. Enough of running your own lives. What's the verse say? Be still and know what? That I am God. You're not God. And there's no other God. And there's no other hope but me. So church as a spiritual practice, can I give you this? Let's do this this week together. Let's have a quiet time. Let's do have a quiet time every day this week together. Not together, like that'd be weird. We have to be meeting here every morning. That'd be hard. But let's have quiet times. Let's have a time alone where we're still in order to know God. Anybody heard the word quiet time before? Have you ever used that word before? That's kind of a thing we'd say, and here's why. I'm going to define what a quiet time is for you. Again, this, was, um, this is you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in graduate school for this. Get quiet is part of it. It's a place where we're going to get quiet because of all those things we just talked about, being alone and being quiet. There's just only things that can happen when we get those distractions minimized. Get quiet. Secondly, and, and even if without a master's degree, do you know what the next part's going to be? If we're talking about having a quiet time, the first part's be quiet. What's the next time? Yeah, let's get a time. So here's what it is. It's genius. Let's get quiet and then let's have a time. What's your plan to get quiet? Where can that happen in your life? And this is going to cost you. Again, it's not going to cost you 50% of your activities. It's not going to cost you losing your job. It's not going to cost you your kid's college, college you know, Division I scholarship that's the hope of, of the universe. It's, it's not going to cost you any of that stuff. But it's going to cost you a little bit of time. And it's going to cost you to remove a few of these distractions, potentially. Get up early in the morning. This is what I'm doing in Lent. I've done it in my third Lent in a row. I'm getting up a little bit earlier in the morning and I'm spending time alone with Jesus. I'm, getting, I'm having a time. I'm getting quiet and having a time. And that means no screens, no work, no email, no, uh, no snuggles with my wife. Can you tell we're empty nesters? Who even has snuggles with their wives in the morning? You're like, I'm making lunches. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. Nothing until, well, coffee. Coffee is mandatory. Next year, I might be spiritual enough to do before coffee, I'll spend time with Jesus. But even Jesus doesn't like me before coffee. So that's an arrangement. <laughs> that we've made. 
And so I'm doing that every day during these 40 days of Lent. But let's do it together this week. Let's get quiet. Let's have a time. If you've never like, well, what do I do in that time? So I'm going to give you a little quick seminar. Two minutes and nine seconds is I'm going to give you this seminar on how to have a quiet time. Okay? First, invite God to meet you. Invite God to meet you. You sit there with your coffee for sure. You sit there. And, uh, and if you can't do it in the morning because you're like, there's just no way. It's like I have to be at work at 4 a.m. Then if it's 4 a.m. you got to be at work, then you can do it during your lunch hour. Everybody else, you can get up a little bit earlier. Probably it's the easiest way to do it. Uh, invite God to meet you. And this is so easy, you guys. This is, all this, this means is that you just, you're stopping and you're entering into the moment. Can I just pray? One of the things I was going to do, and I may still do this, is I want to have a full, quiet time with the Lord in front of you one of these days. But it's still too wonky. I can't get my head around it. But I want to do that out loud and just do it with, so that you get to see it happen. Because my heart is that you see that this is just, this is, it's not rocket science. But let's, let's pray together because I just want to pray. I'm going to pray the way that this prayer could look, okay? Invite God to meet you. This, it just sounds something like this. Lord Jesus, uh, I haven't even thought of you in hours. It feels like I even miss you in some way. But even just sitting here, I'm in touch with this excitement inside. Some seed, something inside that says that I even... I even miss you, and I long for you. And I invite you to come, God, and, and meet me. Because even just saying these sentences, I'm aware you're, you're everything. You're my only hope. And I love you. And I need you. So come, God, bring truth. Bring healing. Rescue me from myself. I'm going to come bring you all this stuff that's on my heart, but you, would you come? I want to be your man. And I long for you to be my God. I stand in the presence of Jesus because of his grace. Amen. Well, that snuck up on me. Just invite him to be with you. That's how you start a time. And that'd be worth the money right there. That'd be worth the price of admission. And then if the baby wakes up, you're off and running and you're good. Second, reflect on his truth. And then reflect on his truth. And I say reflect on his truth instead of saying, and then do Bible study. Because when I say do Bible study, then it sounds overwhelming to you. And then you think about some 45-minute online YouTube video that you feel guilty that you started watching and got bored and couldn't finish. Or you, 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 you're doing a reading program, you're trying to read through the whole Bible in four days. Sorry. And uh, you, you just, I don't know what, don't put, don't heap stuff on yourself there. If you're like, I need an overview of the Bible, then do it and do that and know it's an overview and, and God bless you. And you want to memorize Romans verse by verse starting from, you know, the beginning and go, like, great, do that. And I'll do that with you. That'd be great. Let's do that if you want to do that. But don't heap all that stuff on yourself. All I'm saying is reflect on his truth. So get in there, open the passage from last week's sermon or get a little daily Bible app and, and have a little devotional and then read it yourself and then reflect on what God is saying. That's all we're talking about is to reflect then on what God is saying to you because that's what is going to change us is God's truth. So invite God to meet you, reflect on his truth for a little bit of time in the word and then talk to God about it. Talk to God about it and all the other things that are on your heart. That's the prayer time. Just talk to God about it and the other things that are on your heart. 
Many of you guys just have this long prayer list of every person you've ever met that doesn't yet know Christ and you're praying for their salvation. That's awesome. Keep that list, but keep it off to the side. And some days pray for one human on it. Some days pray for 10 on it. Some days just entrust them to the Lord and pray about something else. Don't make this a law or a burden because you're trying to be still to know God. You're not trying to work your way into some sort of a spiritual silver uh, uh, plaque, okay? So talk to God about what's on your heart. You're like, I don't know what's on my heart. Yeah, you do. You get quiet. The stuff that you're carrying, you'll want to bring it to your good father. Oh, that's so good. We want, more. we want to talk more about that. Talk to God about it in the last. And then settle on an action item. Settle on an action item. What am I going to do with this, God? I'm reflecting on this truth. I'm hearing you. I'm feeling you and all this kind of stuff. What can I do today? Is there an act of obedience in this? Guys, you can't reflect on God's truth that talks about sexual purity and then Ignore this sexual impurity in your life and then decide you're not going to do anything about it, right? You, you can't reflect on God's truth about, in 1 Corinthians 13, your, your practice last week about being more of a loving person and then be so aware of all the ways in which you didn't love well, but not make amends for any of them and not do anything to do something different. Like, you can't do that. Set a lot of plan. Say, Lord, I'm your man. I'm your woman. Here, here you go. I'm going to be, this is how I'm going to react and respond to you today. And it can be really, really, really small but it's movement toward Christ. Well, I hope that's helpful for you guys because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Our souls find rest in him alone. Truly, our souls find rest in God. Our salvation comes from him. My soul, find rest, my soul, because he's our hope. And so we seek to be this still, quiet people centered on God, finding our salvation and our hope and our rest in him. And then life flows from it. The person we want to be flows from that. The work that God wants to do in us flows from that. The work that God wants to do in the world through us flows from that being centered. And so I hope, you, I hope you'll do a spiritual practice this week of having a quiet time with God.